Hello and welcome to Court Games, the L5R LCG podcast with your hosts Finbar Steelfur and... Kanichiwa, this is Trevor Cuba, aka Kikita Onimaru. So yeah, we've had a pretty exciting day, L5R wise, but first let's just kick it off with a bit of a sort of plug and discussion for products and sponsors. All right, we're going to do this real quick because we got a big, juicy episode here today. So real quick, once again, we want to give thanks to the Patreons. You guys support uh, this podcast, our sister podcast, and the Discord League. Uh, just give a shout out that uh, the Crane Pack is now available in your local stores. And look for the first of the uh, Inheritance Cycle Packs coming out to a store near you sometime next month. When? We don't know. Also, give a shout out to the U.S. Grand uh, Championship. You can find more information on the uh, www.novaopen.com. I would go more into the spiel and stuff, but we don't have time for this. Yeah, exactly. But look for that on the 29th of August. Um, it should be a lot of fun. Yep. And then, of course, we have Kotai coming up. We have Athens this weekend. Sadly, the new restricted list, which we will be talking about soon, uh, will not be applied um, and there is still a bit of debate as to whether the Crane Pack will be legal due to distribution issues in the EU, so check with the organisers on that. And then I believe after that, the next weekend after, we have the Atlanta Kotai, which will be the first meta of the new restricted list with the Crane Pack legal, and we should all be very excited for that. The times, the times are changing. But we're going to skip all the way to what would normally be halfway through the podcast, go right into our news update slash main topic. Uh, let's see, what's the earliest thing we should go for? Well, I mean, I think Unicorn have just had their pack, so, mm-hmm. you know, how have they been doing? I had my face kicked in on turn two by HM2 Unicorn. That's nothing new. I didn't even really see that many new cards, but have you seen any playing against them? Uh, all my evidence is rather anecdotal. Uh, my local placing, I have a couple of unicorn diehard players, and we went through a lot of games. I even had uh, my buddy Max uh, sleeve up some unicorn cards, try it out. On my end, it wasn't anything new because unicorn versus crane tends to have a very similar. Like, if I just say guest of honor defends your military attack. The deck just catches on fire and nothing really happens, right? So um, I will say, so our, our ongoing debate of Aranat, we tried Aranat out, we tried uh, with a new um, Unicorn Stronghold. Um, I'm sad to say, well, I, I should be happy to say that I, I think I've won this argument just because Aranat, um, there's so much bow in the game we've discovered at this point in time that just being 6-6 doesn't really do a whole lot and we found further that the fact he can't gain attachments he's not cavalry really shuts him out from a lot of unicorns tools and ultimately he just becomes a really big dumb body that uh only served to help me turn on my magistrate station so that is a shame however i'm doubling down on my argument that he is good um and to back myself up i have signed up as unicorn for the next month of the discord league and i will be playing shiro shinjo and he will be in my deck um, and oh. I will let you know. I will let you know how it goes. Because I look forward to hearing about your horrible, these new horrible roles, I am going to be getting some very, very spicy dragon control tactics, and I'm going to be putting them in unicorn, and we're going to see how they're going to go. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, horribly. They're going to go horribly, but <laughs> you know, at least I will have the illusion of 
optimism for a few turns at least what tools tools are you so optimistic about what do you what secret sauce do you think is going to turn this matchup around my argument is that unicorn are better at swarm and dragon are better at using fate so if i take my dragon i can use fate really well skills and go to shiro shinjo i'm just going to be laughing the whole game being like why have i got so much fate just let me chuck it at things um well you heard it here first unicorn listeners finbar (laughs) thinks that you guys don't know how to math good I don't know if I said that. I definitely didn't say that. I'm just talking myself up before my inevitable failure, which I think is an important part of fantasy universes. So that's what I'm going with. Um, However, you know, not us, because we don't play Unicorn good, um, but Unicorn players, recently we had the Denver Kotai, 60 people or so. Um, 61 players. Unicorn player was in the top four. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty good turnout for Unicorn. Yep. Gentleman uh, by the name of Daniel K. I saw him on stream. He was able to rush down uh, Evan Gibbs playing Phoenix in a very quick fashion. And it was one of those things where they say, if you want to beat Phoenix, you got to hit him hard and hit him fast. And uh, uh, I did not see his secondary game, but he went up against Anil, uh, Mind's Desire, and things did not go quite as well for that. Completely blown out of the water, unfortunately. Uh, I was watching that game. Katanaka came out on, I think, turn one um, or two. Uh, that was pretty much all she wrote. He just started smashing provinces. Uh, the unicorn player ended up, I think, on one honor, and just it did not go very well at all. Um, but then, you know, you are playing as one of arguably probably one of the best players who in Alpha Far at the moment, who went on to win the Kotai overall. That's always going to be a hard matchup. The fact that Unicorn got so far into the top four is a very good indicator of their current performance, um, and it's only going to get better as they have time to experiment with their new cards fine-tune a deck you know get there and then the second that they get ready obviously they're gonna get smashed by crane whose pack has just <laughs> come out right well speaking of which we get, look at the top eight bracket of uh denver kotai again uh one uh one kotai does not necessarily define the meta but it's some interesting things we're seeing right here we've got two phoenix two dragon a lion a crab and a unicorn uh no crane no scorpion um yeah but you know dragon are, are good at swiss and not mm-hmm. necessarily so good at the top guns <laughs> though one did get to the finals i suppose so we can't really complain as for no credit scorpion that's more of an aberration rather than what we would consider the norm or a rule um they have been doing very well which was why they keep getting nerfed I think a lie getting in the top eight is kind of an aberration. Although I should get, you know, all credit to this Chris Pepe. Uh, Lion had been seeing some uh, some uh, love in um, in the American co-ties. There was a rumor not too long ago where they're saying that, oh, the European Lions, they were the ones who knew the magic sauce, how to, like, be really effective and kind of uh, do be more competitive in the cut. Uh, we're seeing more um, legs on American Lions these days, so maybe uh, everything's not all doom and gloom for those guys. Again, I mean, there's this myth that Lion are bad, but they've won a Grand Kotai with 300 people at. We've seen them doing reasonably well at plenty of other Kotai. Clearly, there are some people that are playing them well. Maybe it's just a hard clan to play and they don't have a lot of easy answers. Maybe some people are incredibly lucky. I don't know, but Lion, you know, they keep saying they're at the bottom of the pack. Uh, you know, Lion jokes in there, but they are still performing reasonably well. 
Yeah, I think they're, they're still the weakest, but, you know, uh, one, as everyone says, this game is dependent on skill more than everything else. And they do have their strategy. Their biggest weakness is everybody just knows what their trick is, and it's kind of easy to play around them but yeah if they if they get the magic sauce you know there's uh they're one of the most high rolling clans like when their uh five pieces of exodia come together they are pretty like scary powerful um and darn near unstoppable yeah. when all the things come and together that only has if... to happen seven times <laughs> in a row yeah. in one day and four times the next and you've got yourself a kotai win <laughs> Hey, I like rolling craps. Let's see what's. Yeah, exactly. What's I mean, happen. you just may be a lucky guy, but you should be playing the lottery that day, right? I mean, <laughs> play Alpha Var. You should be playing poker, right? If you're that lucky. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, but Denver is a bit of a sort of lame duck, unfortunately, because the weekend after it happens, we have new packs coming in. We have a new meta. We have a new restricted list. Um, like for example, the crane pack, which I know you're dying to talk about, has just been oh, spoiled I'm fully. Very intrigued to talk about this one. I've uh, the crane pack has come out. Um, we just got we saw the last few cards, which are kind of interesting to look at. I've sleeved up some paper games and got like they're on Jigoku now. Some of the actions are not yet coded properly, so I have to manually use Cute and Kikita and Daidoji Uji. But still, getting some games in, seeing where the power level of these cards are. Very effective. Tell you what, Daidoji Uji, there's sometimes you have cards and you look at it like, oh, wow, that's a powerful card. And sometimes that you, you're overestimating these things. Daidoji Uji is not one of them. Daidoji no. Uji is a wrecker. He will destroy everything if he is not in check. And I found a lot of my games is, uh, while I got Kuni Kikita to keep him honored with the assistance of some duels, I have to put extra duels into my deck. Like I'm running game of Sedane just because people see me now and they're coming at me with every dishonor tech they have. They got my court, the court games, ring of fires, mark of shames, whatever they can do to keep an honor token off of Uji. Yeah. Or you just cloud his mind because drugs. Um, you do that, but it, you know, I mean, not... for a while I considered <laughs> dropping down to like two cloud the minds. So then I read Uji and I was like, wait a second. <laughs> something's going on here <laughs> yeah I need to run warm welcome to replay the cloud the mind that you let go right because then you have three <laughs> cloud the minds on three let goes and I have four cloud the mind right I mean this is a good plan warm welcome is such a good card too bad it can't be played very reliably outside of like mirror mode of Daisho decks aside from dragon yeah I know yeah. such a shame that <laughs> uh, don't spend too much time on the crane pack because everyone can kind of play with them right now online or in paper format and kind of get their own opinion the last few cards to be spoiled are worth talking about just because they're doing some really interesting things and i've mentioned before that crane instead of just being like the good stuff dot crane deck now that we have our pack we can start seeing some branches off going on where you can focus on dueling or focus on courtiers or some blended between and we're seeing some sub themes on here uh first thing card i want to talk about is iwasaki pupil one fate, one military, one political, zero glory, geisha as a trait. Each player draws two fewer cards from honor bids during the draw phase to a minimum of one. Now, what do you think about this one, Finbar? I think it's a terrible card. Um, it's terrible? Right, it hits the table. And the only way mm -hmm. I get to draw more than one card is by bidding four. Um, mm -hmm. So I bid one, right? Because if you yep. bid five, then I automatically get four honor. And then this one-cost guy gets assassinated or leaves the table on the next turn. I can bid five and you can't because you're, you've are you lost five honor. 
or I mm. bid one and draw one card, you know, and if I, because if I bid five, I draw three cards, but, you know, you bid one, you get one card. You know, the difference is just minimal. So what, I bid mm-hmm. one and then you bid one as well? Let's say you're you're a dragon, right? So you're very tend to be very card hungry. You want to bid five all the time. For a while, I play yeah. Iwasaki Pupil uh, and I bid one. Do you actually bid uh, four or five to draw some more cards and give me a massive swing in honor? That's one angle to look at it. Or let's say if we're both going to be like, I don't want to risk it. We're both going to bid one. Then it kind of leads into this other kind of sub theme where Crane is getting of being able to A, draw some cards and B, force you to discard some cards. So if I only have five cards and you have five cards and I force you to discard two, that could be uh, very significant. Yeah, but so it depends on the situation. If I'm first player and I'm above, like, say, if I'm nine honor, I will still mm-hmm. bid five and draw three cards. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to use those extra cards to beat you over the head with, right? Or we both bid five, no ed- no honor gets exchanged, and we just draw three cards. I mean, I think that really is the question. I mean, is being up two cards worth four honor? Depending on the clan and the situation, I'm not entirely sure what the answer for that one is. If I'm first player and I'm about to declare an air rig attack, then yeah, it's fine. I'm sure like its usefulness will play out. I'm optimistic. Something I'm less optimistic of is beloved visor, two costs, one military, three political, one glory, courtier, action, choose an opponent, you and that opponent each draw a card. And I see this card, and the first thing I think of is who plays Seppin Truthseeker, who's pretty much a one-to-one parable of this card? Uh, Dishonor decks and defensive decks. So, basically, th- this card fits in for a very specific type of crane deck, which thankfully we haven't had yet, which is sort of a hyper-defensive honor combo deck that says, I don't care how many cards you've got, because all of my cards shut yours down, and I'm just going to defend and gain honor. And in that situation, if I'm trying to combo and I have Beloved Advisor, I don't mind if we both draw one card or two cards or whatever, because I'm getting pieces into my hand that lets me go, oh, you've attacked me. That's great. Let me duel you four times, gain four run off my holdings, and suddenly I'm winning the game and you've lost because I got my combo into my hand, right? I I understand it on paper. I'm just wondering if the cards exist right now, so... Even if we keep parity, my are, are my crane cards so much better than yours that it's going to like want me to leverage this so much? I mean, I figure if I if my cards are good, then I can just like not give you a card and still maintain that advantage, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a tricky one. Um, again, it rewards combo far more than it just rewards like good cards. You know, if someone puts together a deck that runs this, runs the Truth Seek, and runs Oracle of Stone, and just digs for like. I don't know what see this. I don't know what card you would dig for now, but you know. Yeah, I do, it, I do know that the the dishonor decks, um, Scorpion and to a lesser extent Crab, they will sometimes run Sep and Truth Seeker just because when they draw cards, they have more options in their conflict deck to cause you to lose. Yeah, honor. yeah. Anything that gets uh, them cards that cause a dishonor loss without giving you honor is basically a solid choice. But there really isn't anything in Crane that's gaining honor in the conflict side uh so... well i mean you've got your new duelist holding which mm. means that any jewels you get will draw you if you're running dragon splash you've got a jiatsu master as well so mm. there are there are cards now that can gain you honor 
Um, the hilarious thing about them all, of course, is that they they cost your opponent honor as well. So you actually dishonor your opponent before you honor run. Mm. Except the new holding, which you know obviously just gains you honor every time you win a duel or something like that. Cool. Oh, you're talking about the the distinguished dojo plus two holding dojo reaction after you win a duel place one honor token onto this holding then you may sacrifice your holding to gain honor equal to the number of honor tokens on this holding so maybe that's an idea like you have this distinguished dojo out uh you use the beloved advisor to draw a bunch of cards and i've got like several duels in my hand so i just start yep. pumping duels into distinguished dojo that's an a- uh, avenue I so it's, it's it's twice per turn isn't it so basically you know, you're running either a Dragon Splash for the Dice Show, or maybe you're running Crab Splash for Rebuild. You know, mm. you, you duel twice with your duelist, you blow it up, you gain two honor. If, you know, you use your Ajitsu Masters, so maybe you gain another one or two honor. Um, you know, maybe they really wanted to bid a duel, so they bid high, you play um, Blessing of the Chrysanthemum away of the Chrysanthemum, you gain a bit more mm. honor. Then you blow this up, then you rebuild it, then you do some more duels, and you're just slowly brute, sort of dueling your way up to, to victory. So we could we could see that happen. I don't think it's there yet, but these sorts of card, multi, like multiple beneficial sides, do reward combo decks quite well. If mm. one arises that just needs to draw certain pieces, it's interesting. I think there's potential. I'm not entirely sure what it is, but I think there's some flex there. Mm-hmm. One of the last cards I want to talk about is Letter from the Daimyo. One cost attachment plus zero military plus two political as an item attached to a character you control. Restricted. Reaction, after attached character wins a political conflict, sacrifices attachment, your opponent chooses and discards two cards from their hand to influence value. What do you think about this one, Finbar? I got my opinions. Honestly, I actually think if Restoration of Balance didn't exist, this would be a dragon card. Mm-hmm. Because in the core <laughs> set, we have a direct theme of hand control and manipulation through political conflicts with Kitsuki Investigator. And Crane don't have that theme. Um, so actually, but restoration means, or did mean, certainly for a long time, that we couldn't get cards with more effects like that. But if restoration didn't exist in the form that it does, this card actually probably would have fit quite well into a Kitsuki hand control theme. Well, I disagree with you that one, because Crane do have a hand control option. Oh, they do. They have Paragon of Grace now. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, it, it goes as far back. At, well, let's exclude um, Spies at Court. Doji Shigeru from the Phoenix Pack. That character was designed as, quote-unquote, a meta versus the Phoenix pack as it came out and stuff. Spoilers didn't go very far because the uh, dash on military doesn't take you very far. The Yeah, that one's got, uh, every time you play an action, discard a card, Paragon of Grace now. I can just force you to either choose, discard a card or randomly choose a card. And if I take that, uh, those two characters, Spies at Court, and throw this person on there... I don't like, there's so much on this card I don't like. The one fate cost is a bit steep because it's not that impactful. It's restricted, so I can't use it to put on some bully duelist to abuse that. Yeah, it might need it to be restricted. If your your opponent gets to choose the cards, I don't really like that. But if you take one of those things away, this card gets a lot better. But unfortunately, it has all three of those. Yeah, I mean, you reach a point where they're discarding cards they want if you've discarded enough of them and you've dropped the bids low enough, but it does have a lot of restrictions. But if I'm hitting you with Paragon of Grace, and I'm hitting you with Shikjigeru, and I hit you with a Spies at a Court, and then I hit you with this thing as it leaves play, then it starts adding up. You know, when I get you down to like your last handful of cards that you really want. Yeah, exactly. 
And that's when Iwasaki Pupil becomes useful, because then you're restricting the amount of cards they draw, regardless of whether they bid high or low. And potentially forcing them into a bad bid that can get you a lot of honour if that's your goal. So, you know, a hand control honour deck, that sounds like something horrible to play against, but if it's coming, it's coming. But other than that, like, I am really enjoying Crane. I think the sky is not falling with some of the power level that people were worried about and stuff. That said, a lot of these things are very effective. Uji is a boss. These new courtiers are going to have a lot of useful situations outside of the duelist build. Gossip. It, it's not the end of the world, but it will, like, sit, like, if you go to a situation of, I need my opponent to not play this certain card, it will cover you, and it's very useful for that. The Spear Rush's fourth has proven to be very effective. And it's also like, put a pin on this conversation when I'm talking to, to the Spear Rush's fourth because Crane's ability to bow might lead into some cards we're going to talk about later when we get to the restricted list. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm generally not a fan of something like Jewel to the Death being a Crane card rather than a neutral card. But that's entirely for flavor reasons because people are dueling to the death all over the Empire. It's not a Crane thing. You know, everyone's doing it. And the idea you're going to print something with such a generic name as Duel to the Death and then make it clan-specific is kind of weird to me. The way that the game is kind of emphasizing how some clans specialize some th things, but not to the point that they have exclusive dominion over it, is the way that... Um... I would, Yeah, but I wouldn't say that like, if it was Kikita Technique, for example, that that would be the appropriate name for the card that also did the, like, sort of death effect because Kahita Technique is all about killing your opponent whereas Duel to the Death I mean the lion Duel to the Death the dragon Duel to the Death the crab hit each other over the head with giant wooden sticks until one of them dies from concussion you know it, it, it happens it's not a crane thing it's just it always sits badly with me when these things get designed that should be globally accessible and also I think it's nice if every clan had the access to say actually no my guy's gonna duel yours and because I win, your guy loses a point of health. That seems like a very useful effect for every clan to have, not just Dragon. Well, we see this in Phoenix as well, because every clan has access to Shigenja to one extent or another, and Phoenix are not the only ones who do magic. However, the lion's share of Shigenja and spell effects lie in the Phoenix thing. So if you say, hey, I've got my crab deck and I want to do a lot of more magic things, you're going to have to splash Phoenix if you want to go very far with that. Well, again, this is what I've said, and certainly other people have said it before, is if you take a spell like Earth Becomes Sky, for example, which we know is a Phoenix card that's coming out soon, um, Earth Becomes Sky has been one of the key Cooney crab spells since you know the first edition of the, um, of the RPG. It is a key... Uh, what you'd consider Earth Shigenja effect, not necessarily Phoenix Earth Shigenja effect. And the idea that it's locked to one clan really doesn't sit well, you know, just with anything, because it's a spell. And I keep saying spells would make so much more sense if the restriction on playing them was just that you had to have a Shigenja that matched the element of the spell on the table to play any spell, and then all the spells were neutral. And then you, you'd limit effects. You'd only have Void Shigenja in Phoenix, and therefore all of these powerful Void spells already make sense coming from Phoenix. I will, I will agree to the extent of I never liked how some themes become so synonymous with clan identity that it comes sort of a monopoly of those themes very quickly. And that's always been an issue the game has had. But as for now, I do like how if you want to learn how to duel or... Uh, 
implement a lot of dueling into your clan. You got to splash crane. You're not going to splash dragon because then you learn how to duel poorly. Uh, I mean, duel poorly. I think that's a bit of a rude thing to say. I played a game with my duelist versus a crane duelist the other day, and he had six fate, and I had six fate, and then after one conflict, he had three fate, and I had six fate. And safe to say, he went away first, taking three duelist trainings with him. And Raitsurugu was on the board at the end of the game, so I'm just going to flex and say, Kikita Toshimoko what? Like, I don't care, you know. One of these days, me and you are (laughs) going to have a live stream game, we're going to settle this once for all. It's going to be Kikita versus Hojatsu over here, yo. (laughs) It's going to be horrible. Anyway, enough about that. So let's let's move on to Lion then. So obviously we've just had a first sort of set of previews from the Lion pack. Mm. Uh, the first one is the most interesting one, of course, is Kyun Nikoma, uh, the home of the Nikoma family, who are the courtier and the diplomat family of the Lion. Uh, they're also the historians. Um, and interestingly, often the ones who create justifications for the Lion going to war. So, I mean, Nikoma will discover shock horror uh, an old document in their libraries that proves that they are the legitimate claimer to a piece of land that's next to their borders that maybe they owned at one point. Oh, and then the lion armies will go and be like, ah, that's ours now, so uh, give it back. They um, <laughs> make an excuse for their horrible, horrible ways. <laughs> yes. Is this reflected in the stronghold ability? After a character you control loses a conflict as an attacker, bow this stronghold, choose a non-champion character, bow that character. The answer is kind of yes. I mean, the idea is that the lion have gone off and done a bit of fighting. It maybe didn't go so well. And someone has come back to consult the records and has come up with a political reason that a non-champion character can't attack or is bound for the rest of the turn. I I will say this is very representative of the Ikoma family, because obviously if it's lion, they're going to use this on their political attack. So it's just like in a coma to go out, I'm going to attack your stronghold, I'm going to... What do you mean I lose? How dare you get in my way? This means war! And it doesn't affect a champion because the champion doesn't care what the Akoma's talking about. Like, Alton Sada, I don't care, she's going to charge anyway, right? You know? <laughs> so... Yeah, I think thematically That's the hot new meta, Alton Sardai to counter Cute and Nikoma. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're, you're a Tomo. You're a Tomo and Alton Sardai. It's perfect. Um, and Chagatai, but he's not champion yet. Hmm. Um, is it any good? Lion Chat isn't sure. Um, sometimes they think it is. Sometimes they think it's not. They really don't like losing which is a problem with this stronghold because, you know, Lion are getting rewarded for losing. They're not exactly a best clan when it comes to losing. Basically, what this card is, is a very tactical card. You're doing an attack to have a later effect that's going to give you control over the board for your second conflict, right? Now, that's very strong. It's very tactical. It requires a lot of thinking to get the best results out of. And it's also going to mess with your opponent's head a lot. It, it's a very strategic thing to do. Does it feel very lion? Because lion are often about honor and attacking. If you think about lion as being that aggressive military swarm deck, then no. But if you think about lion as being the tactical masters that unicorn charge in with everyone, oh shit, it's not working, charge out with everyone, aren't, then it actually makes a lot of sense. 
you're losing one conflict, probably going to be a small conflict with one or two people, in order to win the greater war by tying up your opponent's resources somewhere else. That itself is what you would expect from a clan that is full of tactics, tacticians, you know, and masters of war. They're going to lose conflicts and tie up resources to win the greater war. I get that as a concept, uh, but we've seen this effect before in the Deathseeker card that Lion has. And it leads me to wonder where, because like, we're almost assuredly this is going to be used on their political attack, right? Lion aren't going to you know, forfeit their military attack where they have massive bonuses for a political attack where they can barely you know, muster any force whatsoever. Well, I mean, it depends because they do have a lot of courtiers and they could build a politically strong deck that also plays stuff like Deathseeker to just go in on a military conflict and lose. It's possible in the same way, like, I could build a Crane Asahina deck and it could do something. No, I mean, the, the, Lion, the Lion Courtier deck was stronger than the other Lion deck for quite a while, which pissed off everyone because they were like, we're Lion, why do we have good courtiers? But actually, they do have quite a few. Not just the main event, because he's, you know... But whether it's, whether it's military or political, I have to wonder. Even with the, the bow effect, um, in function, like you're just sacrificing one of your conflicts opportunities for a bow opportunity. And yeah. I wonder if like if a lion attacks me in a military battle that when a lion attacks me militarily, I kind of just assume that they're going to win and I don't even bother defending it unless I have some like real yeah. tricky stuff up my sleeve. And a political attack, they're not going to do anything for. So it's we're going back in a situation of they're going to like attack me once and get like one victory versus I'm going to crack back twice and take like this is double the provinces that they're losing. This is double the rings. That but I'm you may gaining. not be able to crack back twice if one of your characters is bowed. I mean, and also maybe. maybe you have to choose now: do I defend and give them a free bow? Do I not defend and give them a free ring? It is a there's is a situation and I'm having this conversation again with uh with the crane pack not to take it back to crane where of like is this card very good I'm not sure but compare it to the other ones like oh could we do any worse like that's what where I am with uh, Kuni Kikita right now and stuff it may not be as yeah. as amazing as I thought it was but it's a lot better than the base crane uh thing so this one is like do I know it's going to do well I do not know. Is it better than their other two? Sure. <laughs> the, the baseline stronghold is good. It's just boring. And HMT Lion has just proven too hard to trigger because it has its requirement of five or more wins, which your opponent could just be like, haha, now you win by four because I have this one card. And then you're like, oh, well, fuck, I can't turn on my stronghold. Or you have to commit too many forces to get to that plus five. Whereas this is an interesting effect. It can be turned on every turn if you want it to. It can slow down your opponent... And this stronghold starts with 13 honor. So, you know, who knows what they're going to do with that. That's just what I was about to say. 13 honor is where I'm more intrigued with this one. I don't know where Lion stands on a potential honor deck. I mean, they were getting pretty high up there less than a year ago when like, oh, we've got nothing else to do. So we might as well try to honor run. The extra couple of points on this one might push them over the edge. I don't know. And 10 influence point. I think this is, if I'm not mistaken, the first alternate stronghold with a full suite of influence available to it. Not sure on that one. I have to check. In there, but it's, uh, it's pretty up there, though. It's not mm. common. And of course, this stronghold isn't standing there by itself. You know, we had Death Seeker from the core. In this pack, we have the card which has the gorgeous art, 
created a lion stabbing the, each other. It's perfect. You know, after a British character you control loses the conflict as an attacker, sacrifice it, choose a character controlled by your opponent. If that character has no fate on it, discard it, otherwise remove one fate. Full influence. This card is amazing. So you is attack really? with a Yeah, it's it's amazing, right? It's a free void ring. So you attack with your one cost Bushi, send them in. They'd lose, you kill them, you eat a fate off someone's character, and you bow someone else. We're starting to get a good theme, right? Uh, I'm not sure. It's uh this is definitely a card for specifically like wide board lion. Well, you could often find someone to sacrifice if it's a one-cost guy. I mean, doesn't yeah, matter. But it kind of underlines like some of the Lions' uh, issues where if, if they had more effective one-drops, it'd be great and stuff. But they have a lot of these two-drops. So hmm. sacrificing a two-drop that's already not bringing that great stats to the table, and now you're losing... like So this card effectively says, hey... Uh, pay to fate and a potential character slot. If you bought an extra character at the start of the round, you probably lost your opportunity for passing fate to mm. potentially lose one fate or remove a character from the board of it. I mean, it's got play, especially with a wide board lion and stuff. I probably wouldn't play more than one of these cards. Tell you what. I mean, I... you know, once a game, this card's going to be available. Try to do it twice. That's just being greedy. I personally i'm going to disagree there i think lion have enough cheap bushi to make it work i think that they're going to be losing one conflict to turn to turn on their stronghold and i think they're going to be winning another conflict which could be void and they could be taking at least two conflicts a turn also if i haven't read this wrong you could play more than one of these after a specific conflict see uh lion have the zap brannigan style of command leadership of we'll just send wave of waves of our soldiers at the enemy until they're not around anymore it worked for yes. arasau until he got shot in the face by hotaru okay but then it gets interesting right so the next card that really really fascinating is this voice of the ancestors right so choose a character you control it's an action it's a four for three three with two glory shigenja you take a lion character from your discard dynasty pile and you put it as an attachment onto the chosen character, reducing its cost by one. So it can be free if it's a one cost, it costs one if it's a two cost. This attachment has a blank printed text box, gains the spirit trait, the limit one spirit per character, so one attachment per character, but it adds its political and military skills to the skills of the attached character. So then your 3-1 or your 2-1, one, one or two cost character dies to do something to your opponent and then immediately gets attached to one of your other characters as an attachment. I feel like Tyler was sitting in a room being like, what works for Lion? Well, Spirit Color works. Can we just print Spirit Color again? I mean, I guess we can. <laughs> no, I mean, Lion have a whole theme of ancestor worship. And oh, yeah. this isn't as good as Spirit Caller because remember a lot of the time Spirit Caller is good to use on effects. But when you Spirit Call one of these into play, and it doesn't have to bow to do its ability. So what we're, everything we just <laughs> said about Embrace Death and the conversation we just arise, uh, had from that affects all the other Lion cards that we were, that are also in this article for yeah. all the reasons we were just talking about. So you have Embrace Death, you're going to sacrifice a character, but if you have the voice of the ancestors out, you can potentially immediately get that character back. I mean, it costs one, reducing its cost by one. And then, so we're both right. On one hand, it becomes a sort of a non-cost uh, because of how cheap lions are, but due to lions' lack of one-costers that are really that interesting, other than like Matthew Berserker, that 
cost of the card is kind of going up and up and up. And you have to wonder, like, how effective are these strategies really being? Yeah, but let's 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 think positively, right? Because we've already seen like three or four cards out of this set, and this is obviously going to be their theme for the pack. So, you know, be- best case scenario, you're attacking with a Matsu Berserker, but that's got a dash and political. So, I don't know, you attack with some one-cost lion that hasn't got a dash and political. I know there is one. It dies to embrace death, and then you shove it on someone else and do a military conflict, right? That's not a bad turn. This guy's got good stats, and he's going to yoink someone else in the discard pile for himself as well. So instantly he becomes four for like a five, four or something. Keeping with this discussion, if we're still on a lion and kind of talking about how these cards work together, right next to it is a very interesting card, uh, Ashigaru Levy, zero fate, one military, peasant, zero glory, dash political, Reaction, copy this character, uh, uh, after this character enters play, choose another copy of this card in your provinces or discard pile, put that character into play. So yeah. once you start to Ashigaru... with the one next to it, because you don't want to be using these as attachments. <laughs> yeah, this is a great way to keep characters on the board and they're always around. However, because they're not bushy, they're not getting access to a lot, some of the stuff that you really want them access yeah. to. Sadly, in fact, actually, I don't think this card is going to see play because it's a cool effect, but it depends how much you have to sacrifice it to, which currently is nothing. So, we'll see. The other card, uh, Matsu Gohei. Uh, two fate, three military, one political, one glory. Bushi. This character does not bow at the res- as a result of conflict resolution during conflicts in which it is attacking with two or more other Bushi characters. So again, this is like this weird synergy thing. So he doesn't work with Ashigaru Levy because they're not Bushi. And if you want to have two or more Bushi with you, you're not sacrificing them for Embrace Death. But then also you might win the conflict if you're attacking with three Bushi. So he feels like he's more of a HMT Lion card. Um if HMT Lion starts working. Because, you know, the main thing about Unicorn that makes HMT strongest, they've got a lot of ready. Anyway, that, that, that that's just the start of the Lion pack. Obviously, we have a lot more cards to come out before we can really judge how well this Stronghold's going to work. We have a whole, like, half cycle before it comes out as well, I think, because I don't know if we're expecting to see this until maybe June. Um, so, you know, we've got time for this, this theme to build out properly. Uh, but hopefully it gives Lion a new option. It's not even just theme. It's like multiple themes. So I do not think all four of these cards go into the same deck. Um, and I'm interested no. to see what the blend is. Something I wanted to talk about too real quick was we had a fiction last week. Tactical Maneuvers by Nancy Sauer. Nancy is an old school L5R uh, fiction writer. Really glad to see her back writing fictions. And the reason I'm bringing that up here today in the LCG one, as opposed to, I'm sure, Genie and uh, uh, the other dragon guy <laughs> uh, talk about in the RPG podcast, is um, this one is a fiction that is directly influenced by the choices from the LCG. Uh, Eric Balhas, when he won Worlds last week, every over the top performing uh, clans, or the p- person who did the best in Worlds, was able to choose a family that would be prominent in an upcoming fiction. 
for their clan. Eric Balhas had the distinction of being, since he won Worlds, got to choose the exact character. And he chose Kakita Kazin, our famous duelist, uh, who was also the vanity character for uh, Eric Dahlman, a old school L5R player and one of the early designers for the game. And he was also very uh, spearheaded, keeping a lot of the classic taste and themes of the old card game into this LCG. Well, that's exciting. I mean, it's always good when these decisions from the tournament um, make it through to the uh, to the actual fiction. What's intriguing about this one, I don't want to give two spoilers, but um, Kikita Keizen, who is the Yojimbo for Kikita Asami, they liberate themselves from lion captivity in a way of political maneuvering, and they escort Doji Kuzunobu, who is Doji Hotaru's husband, the Crane Clan champion, to the Fox Clan, his native clan, to seek their aid, deal with the spiritual effects that are happening all across Rakugan, specifically with Crane and uh, dealing with the aftermath of the tsunami. Yeah. We need to, we're going to start to get spoiler warnings for this podcast so that we can tell you when we're going to talk about stuff. Because um, <laughs> I'm not up to date with the story yet, but I will be soon. Uh, and I know a lot of LCG players aren't. But then, if you're listening to our podcast, you're listening to the RPG podcast, there's a lot of story discussion going on. Uh, I'm not going to talk anything else, but all I'm going to say is, very early in the fiction, our protagonists, Doji Kozunobu, Kikita Sami, and Kikita Keizen, they're faced with a dilemma, and Kikita Keizen handles it very much the way that a Kikita Yojimbo would. So he cuts its head off. <laughs> spoilers, man, spoilers. I don't know, I haven't read it. I just assume he cuts his head off. It does raise a question of, if a person from another family was in that situation, would they have reacted differently, and would that have led to different results? And it kind of asks, uh, underlines a question of what is going on with the how much choice of the player's are making when they make these story decisions. The story team, uh, I've had uh, DG Latero uh, confirm to me personally when I talked to him online that this, these fictions are not set in stone, so when a player makes a decision, the the writers are taking this input and putting it into these fictions and having it uh, played out as much to reverberate the choice and intent that the players themselves are making. Okay, I mean, that's quite good. I mean, we don't really want to be in a situation where every family would have handled it the same way and then there's no story decision. So it's good to hear that feedback, at least. Yeah. So play hard. Your uh, your game win results do affect the story, and the writers have been told to listen. So yeah. that's good uh, feedback. Final shout-outs including... Oh, man, get it out of here. Once again, love and support to Seabass, who doesn't want me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Love and support to the other podcast, uh, uh, the RPG uh, Court Games podcast. And you, the community, you guys are so awesome, especially people who are interacting in our new talk room on the Discord server. There are a surprising amount of people are interacting with us on our courtroom chat, which is kind of scary, but also fun. So thank you, guys. Sometimes I'll go in there and beg for attention and try to ask people questions. And sometimes Finbar will go in there and start answering questions instead of waiting to our mailbag segment so we can record it. Yeah, but that's just a taste, right? You know, you ah. give people a taste of how, like, we discuss things. And then they're like, oh, man, I've got to listen to that podcast because that guy's really on the money with all of his thoughts. Is this the Agasha drug dealing business and stuff? Like, ah, the first tra uh, taste is free. <laughs> Come get more. Want a potion? 
You want to buy? You want to want to buy some some potions? I got potions. Um, yeah. So thanks everyone for listening. Uh, lots of exciting news. I've been Kikita Onimaru, and I have been Finbar slash Dealfer. Thank you all for listening. Sayonara.